Okay. We kind of got a little bit of a uh, head start, I guess Sunday before last, on this topic, and I was kind of late coming to the topic, as a matter of fact, on uh, discipling, and it's not something that we spend a lot of time talking about in church life, and um, it may be something we need to talk more about, and so it kind of ended up on my, uh, on my radar, on my heart. I guess through the sermon that I preached a couple of weeks ago about Paul, about those that invested in Paul and then his investment in Timothy and the challenge and encouragement to uh, uh, exhort Timothy to do the same thing with the people that he was uh, pastoring and leading. And it's something that our church has uh, talked about. We have a, uh, a spiritual formation team. And they've been uh, putting together thoughts and plans and strategizing and doing some research about the best approach, strategy, maybe for how to uh, encourage and uh, exhort the church family to, to be engaged in discipleship. Uh, sometimes I think we make it too complicated. You know, we, we focus too much maybe on programs instead of what uh, what discipleship is really all about. But... I think we probably need to talk about it more. It needs to be at the forefront of our our uh, focus more, and that maybe we can uh, we'll uh, gain some advantage there and maybe get uh, more motivated or inspired to move forward with it. So when you hear the terms disciple or discipling, what what comes to mind? For playing word association, you know how I like to play that game. Discipline. Discipline. Okay. Learner. Sorry? Learner. Learner. Okay. Mentor. Mentor. right but that was a good catch <laughs> follower anything else An imitator um, most people when you think about disciple they automatically go to the um, the first generation of disciples the first people Jesus called out to follow him the twelve uh, it's tempting to go there. Um, there are a lot of ideas about what a disciple should be, you know. And in fact, I would say that even in our churches, we've talked about it and discussed it. Different ideas come from different people about what it means for a church to be proactive in discipleship. 
um, or what it means to be a disciple. Some people would look at it as it's only about one-on-one -on -one mentoring, teaching, guiding someone, or following someone one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, I have a much broader view of discipleship, and we'll get to that in a few moments. Uh, disciple. Jesus' last words to his disciples before he left them, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, 16 through 20 actually, Jesus challenged his disciples. He said, go and make disciples. And you've heard me say this over and over and over again. Really, I don't like the way that it's translated there. It, it literally means as you are going, make disciples. So as you are living your life, as you are moving through life, wherever that takes you, be making disciples. You know, it has this continuous, ongoing, present action that into a infinity, infinity. It's not, it doesn't have an end in sight. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a one encounter, but it's an ongoing thing. Now, what's involved in that? What do I do with my marker? This is it. If you're thinking about discipling, or discipleship, I mean, it starts out with evangelism, doesn't it? And you can't disciple. I've, I've said before that you can't teach a goat to be a sheep. You, you just can't. You know, if you've been around any goats for any length of time, they are as contrary to the nature of a sheep as, you know, I mean, it's night and day. Uh, goats are brash, they're loud, they're out of control, you know. I, I was in uh, West Africa, Ghana or somewhere, and you know, you'd hear them coming from miles around. They just travel in a herd like a wolf pack, and, and they're just yelling, you know, bah! just going crazy, and, and it's like their head's been set on fire uh, the way they're going. I don't know if it's because the food's scarce and they're just going crazy doing that, but uh, seeing that depicted, you understand the difference between the docile sheep who is unable, it's defenseless, it's unable to defend itself, it, it, it can't see, you know, it's, it's quiet and timid and shy, all these things, and it's a complete opposite picture. But a lot of times we have people in our churches, you know, Jesus used this, this uh, metaphor of sheep and goats and so the people who are in the family of God portrayed as sheep versus the goats who are the pretenders. They're the imposters. So you can't, you can't disciple someone who's still a goat in their nature. You just can't. So evangelism has to take place first. And then once you do that, you're talking about mentoring, guiding, teaching we'll unpack that just a little bit more as we move so a disciple the so, so discipling does it involve ch 
changing a goat into a sheep? Absolutely. It's got to begin with evangelism. So discipling, we're called, we are disciples, right? If we're followers of Christ, we are disciples. Well, a part of that, this, this is a, as disciples, as disciples, a part of what that means is that we're evangelists, we're mentors, guides, teachers, you know, to encourage others to follow Christ as we're following Christ. So it absolutely encourages that, includes that. You can't be just, um, I don't think that you can say, Bob, if I'm presuming upon what you're saying wrongly, you can correct me, but you can't just sit back and say, well, you go win them to Christ and then bring them to me and I'll, I'll then take it up and teach them. You know, it involves all aspects of following Christ, which, you know, what did he do with his disciples? He said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. But it also included when he gave his commandment there in, in uh, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, what did he say? Make disciples, and lo, I am with you. He also said, teaching them all that I have commanded you, didn't he? Mm -hmm. So discipling there involves evangelism, because he talks about baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, you do that after they've come to Christ, they've been converted, and then teach them all the things that I've commanded you. So you're teaching the Word of God that He's given us to these people. So that, this is discipleship, evangelism, and growing. Coming to Christ, being converted, and growing afterward, the fact. And you can't separate one out and be a specialist in the other, you know. In fact, we would take issue with somebody who says, I'm an evangelist, I win them to Christ, and then I don't care what happens to them after that. You know, I mean, we, we know people that have done that, right? We've all done that, maybe. Had that attitude, well, you know, maybe I've got the gift of evangelism, so I'm going to win them to Christ. Fine. But that's not the end of it. You know, we, we want, you, you have a baby, but you don't just have a baby and then say, hey, we had a baby got somebody that's got my name and walk away and leave them do you that baby's going to die starve to death or end up being abused in some other way you have a responsibility to help that baby grow and mature and become a functioning adult right so we have the same thing going on spiritually i think when we're talking about the kingdom of god and what we do with people we should be absolutely sharing our faith with them and then we should be helping them to understand all the all that goes with that once you've come to Christ right what are the marks or characteristics of a disciple of God so we've kind of got into this a little bit but um, I've got one two three four five six seven bullets here that I would that I would describe as characteristics or marks of a disciple of God First of all, it's one who follows Christ. It's someone who's been called out, summoned by God, and they have chosen to follow God. They have come out from the world to follow Christ. Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 20, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will, I will make you become fishers of men. 
And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and uh, with the hired servants and followed him. Secondly, it's one who craves God's word. There's a desire to know who God is, but also to know what God says. Job 23:12 says, "I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food." Jeremiah 15:16, "Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words came became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts." Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7. We're probably familiar with that one here. Our whole children's ministry is kind of based upon this. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And then we studied just recently in 1 Peter 2, 2 where it says, like newborn infants long crave the pure spiritual milk, right? That by it you may grow up into salvation. So one who craves the Word of God is a disciple. If you have someone that claims to be a disciple of Christ, but they have no affinity for the Word of God, what does that say? You know, can you put a lot of trust in that? It's hard, isn't it? I mean, I'm not trying to judge but I'm saying there should be certain characteristics present in your life if you claim to be a follower of Christ and one of them you've come out of the world to follow him in name decision but also you have a desire a craving for the word of God thirdly it's one who separates from the world someone who comes out from the world and understands that I'm no longer a citizen in this world. I now have citizenship in another world, in another kingdom. And I'm an alien in this world. And so I don't live according to the, to the direction of this world. I don't live according to the standards that this world uh, tries to place upon me. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. But maybe even more glaring than that one is in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Again, another verse that we refer to a lot. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A A new creation. He's not the same as he was. He's now different. He's become different. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Another characteristic of a disciple is one who is self-disciplined. You chose the word discipline, which is a good one because it has disciple in it, right? Discipline. Self-discipline. What does that mean? What does it mean to be self-disciplined? Have convictions. Have Yeah, I mean, fruit, that's a great place to go in Galatians chapter 5, right? Chapter 5, verse 22, where it describes, contrasts what you were in the flesh, 
the, the things that we expect to see, the characteristics that we expect to see in someone who is controlled by the flesh versus someone who has the fruit of the Spirit in them. Love, patience, peace, kindness, long-suffering, and on and on it goes, right? So, um, self-discipline. Someone who is seeking, seeking to walk in the fullness and in the power of the Spirit day by day. So they understand that there's a difference. Now, if you show me somebody that, that can do that without fail, um, you're not, you're not going to find somebody, are you? I mean, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, you're going to have moments where the flesh rises up and takes over, isn't it? It's going to flash forward and you're going to lose your temper or you're going to say something sarcastic or mean-spirited towards somebody just like that. It just flares up real quickly. So what are we as believers, what are we supposed to do? How do we walk in the Spirit day by day? How do we, how do we practice self-discipline? We read the Word of God. We, we feed ourselves. We crave the Word of God. We feed ourselves on the Word of God. We understand. How would you practice physical self-discipline? Exercise. Exercise. Right diet. You know, so you refrain, you get lots of sleep, you get, you know, you treat your body well, don't you? Because you want it to function at its peak physically. If you're an athlete, these athletes, they sacrifice, don't they? They sacrifice all the good, fun foods to eat. They don't eat ice cream and fat foods and all that stuff. They eat the stuff that's good for them, that's going to help their body optimize energy and perform at a high rate. Um, that's self-discipline. Spiritually speaking, we do the same thing. What are the things that tempt me or lead me away from God or pull me away from the gospel or take my mind off of those things? And, and you know this. You can point to things in your life. I was joking with Luke yesterday because he, he took uh, kind of a mini vacation over the weekend. And he took his family and he went camping. And so I walked into his office about halfway through the day, and he was sitting there in front of his computer, and I said, so what are you, what are you doing? And he said, thinking about camping. And I said, that's the problem with a vacation, is that once you get it in your head, you can't get back to where you're supposed to be, right? You know, it's almost not worth it sometimes to go on vacation because you know it's going to take you so long to get it out of your system and get back at it. Sometimes it's easier just to stay at it, right? That's a workaholic talking, right? Yeah. <laughs> but that's the way it is. There are things there are things that we experience, you know. Maybe if uh, you have a problem in an area, you know, I've talked to men that would, would say this is a problem. If pornography was a problem, you know, the, the more you go to it, the more it fuels it. Okay? The harder it is to, to push away from it. Or anything else that you may have. Uh, that, that works that way in our lives. And so self-discipline means that I'm, I am putting those things off limits and I'm staying the course. And we all know that when you make that commitment, it's going to get even harder, isn't it? It's very difficult. Uh, so we do that in the power of the Spirit. You talked about reading the Word, getting up in the morning. My prayer typically each day at the beginning of the morning has in it something along this line. Lord, I need you to remove the, the, the dross, you know, the stuff that, that 
weighs me down, the stuff that's magnetized toward the things of the world. I need you to remove that, and I need for your Spirit to fill me and empower me so that the fruits of the Spirit will prevail today in my life. Now, it still doesn't mean I'm going to be successful because even though God may move those things out, I have a tendency you know, to reach out and grab them, pull them back, and stick them in your pocket. I might need that later, right? I might need that anger later, you know, if somebody crosses me and does something wrong. And so self-discipline is, is a difficult part of what we do. Um, next, a disciple is one who desires fellowship with other believers. In other words, he has a desire to seek, to encourage, to grow together with God's people. I think I, I might have used this uh, the other day in a, in a sermon at some point in time, but um, I've had people, lots of people through the years that will ask me or they won't have this discussion, don't you think, do you think you have to go to church to be a Christian? Well, no, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But if you're a Christian, you should want to go to church. Why? Because that's where your family is. That's where, that's where your people are. And if you don't want to be with your people, you know, if, it, if we treated our families that way at home, you know, if your, your kids or your grandkids or all these things show up at your house and you get in your car and leave every time this happens, what's going to happen? They're, they're going to wonder what's wrong with you, right? You don't feel like you're connected to the family. Why, why do you not like us? Why do you not want to be with us? It says something, right? It's dysfunctional in some way. Same thing's true with God's people. If you're a true disciple, there's something that draws you to God's people. You're encouraged, you're strengthened, you're challenged, exhorted, all these things to move into a closer fellowship with the Lord and with His people, with the body of Christ. I mean, Christ died for the church. So you've got to believe it's pretty important, right? That's right. Yeah. I mean, take your ten fingers and chop them off, and just leave them scattered around the house. You know, because they don't like to hang out together. Well, your little finger doesn't like the thumb. You know, the thumb's always horning in, taking over everything. You know, he's that doesn't work, does it? It, it doesn't make sense. It's illogical for us. Why, why would it make sense when it comes to the body of Christ? And the truth is, it really doesn't when we think about it like that. Uh, some scripture verses. Romans 15, 5 and 6 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 2.42, we, we referenced that on Sunday. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. So you see this all the way through the New Testament, the people of God coming together. A disciple is one who has a passion for evangelism. Back to Bob's question. Evangelism has got to be a part of our discipleship. First John chapter 3, verse 16 through 24 says, By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone, you know, that's an interesting statement. 
I mean, because we think by this we know love, that he laid his life down for us. And then he compares us and says, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So what does that first part mean? I mean, we typically would say, well, that means Jesus died for us, right? He died on the cross. But he's putting us on the same terms, so he's not calling us to die on the cross for our brothers. So it's got to mean something else, doesn't it? What do you think it means? Died for our own, putting our own self first. That's right. Sacrificing for the benefit of others, just as he did for us. He sacrificed to disciple. How many times do you think, we know he didn't because he was perfect. But we've seen it over and over and over through the New Testament when the disciples, you know, the sons of thunder. Lord, you want us to call down fire and lightning and thunder and zap them? What do you think must have Jesus had to be looking at this and going, what are you talking about? How long do I have to be with you? I mean, how long do I have to keep telling you this? This is not who we are. You know, we love, love one another. So it's over and over and over he's having to drill this in. Did that not cost something? Sure it did. It cost something every day. He had to withdraw to the mountains to find replenishment for his spirit and his body because of the crowds that were constantly pressing on him, wanting something from him constantly, over and over. So he laid down his life so that he might disciple, that he might, he might mentor and guide these sheep who needed a shepherd. And he's calling on us to do the same thing, to be willing to invest, to lay down and sacrifice for others, not to die on a cross for them. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God love, God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what He pleases. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. And whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us, and by the Spirit whom He has given us. Disciples, characterized as one who has a passion for evangelism and also one who perseveres. One who perseveres. One who doesn't just give up. Paul writing to the Philippians said, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. A true disciple doesn't give up, throw up his hands, walk away, cash in the chips. He's, he has God drawing and pulling him and encouraging him, and he has the Spirit of God in him pressing him forward. He wants to persevere. He wants to finish the race. He wants to be what, what God has called him to be and empowers him to be. <clears throat> It's kind of foreign in our culture today, though, isn't it? Any questions on that? Um, I think it's implied that we can't do it alone. 
That's right. The Spirit of God in you enables us to do this, equips us. Uh-huh. And um, being accountable to somebody else as well fits in there. Being accountable to someone else is important. Um, but ultimately, and I'll say this, I mean, I know accountability is important. And I don't want to give the message that it's not. But we also know that we're very capable of lying to each other, aren't we? You know, so, you know, Bob can say, Jerry, have you done anything this week that you shouldn't have done? And I can say, no, Bob, why would I have done that? And I can look him straight in the face and lie to him, right? I mean, we know, well, that's, that's not what accountability is right. You're absolutely right. But we're natural-born liars. We're not natural-born truth-tellers. And so if I want to get away with it, I can get away with it. You know, that's why I've, I've had men come in who, you know, will go back to the pornography thing and say, you know, I don't know what to do here. I have this problem, this addiction with pornography. I've been thinking about, you know, if, if I could get something, purchase it, and put it on my computer. And I said, yeah, but there's always a way around it. Mm-hmm. Well, what if you held me accountable? And I said, there's still a way around it. I said, if you want to kick this, you know what you do? And he said, what? And I said, go home and tell your wife the problem you have and give her the authority to make your accountability problem. Mm-hmm. You because know, she'll hold you to it and she'll know when you're lying. You know, she, she will be able to do that better than anybody. And if you're serious about moving beyond it and having the accountability, then that's the way to go. If you're just looking for something to fool yourself and think you've got accountability when in fact it's not really accountability because there's no real accountability, <laughs> right? <laughs> Are you confused? I am. (laughs) One accountability too many, wasn't it? (laughs) Okay, the larger context for discipling. Discipling, as we said, I said earlier that y'all are going to be impressed with my artistic skills. The Some people will say that discipling is about one-to-one, one-on-one discipling, and that that's the meaning of real discipleship. I disagree with that. I disagree with it vehemently. I think it is a part of the discipling process, but I don't even think it's the most important part because the Word of God stresses that the church assembles together as a body. And when we gather together, we are discipling. We are discipling. If we open the Word of God, if we encourage one another, if we sing, we sing theologically based songs together, we are discipling. I mean, we approach, we approach things around here this way. If <coughs> Greg knows, sometimes to his chagrin, He knows that my question is going to be, Greg, these songs that we're singing on Sunday, if people come to church on Sunday and we don't do anything but sing these songs, how much gospel will they have when they leave? And that's the criteria for what we sing and when we sing it. If if I were struck dead and there's no sermon and nobody prayed and nothing else happened but we just sang songs, would our people walk out with the gospel? Because that's, that has to be the criteria for what we sing. The same thing has to happen with how we pray. If the only thing we did was pray, how much gospel would people leave with? If the only thing we did 
was do a sermon. How much gospel will they walk out with? So every element that we practice together has to have the gospel in it so that when, when they leave, they get it. Every layer, they're getting the gospel. And that's discipleship. That's discipleship. Because you're going to sing songs all week. You may not remember a word of what I say on Sunday morning, but you're going to walk out, and those songs have a way of attaching themselves to your brain, and you'll be singing and humming those songs all week. And then you'll learn the words. So we want to make sure that the words you learn are in keeping with God's word and the word of God, uh, uh, with the gospel. So the church has this responsibility in everything we do, whether it's in a group this size, whether it's in our Sunday morning core group time, whether it's in our children or youth gatherings, whether it's in our worship gathering, all of it is working together. It's all layered, okay? It's all weaving together. Nothing stands alone. This could be a very important part of it, but it's not the only thing. It's not the only thing. We preach the Word, we sing the Word, we pray the Word, we conform to the Word, where accountability is based in the Word and relationally to one another. And then we're working to bless one another through our sharing our giftings and our love for each other. Every believer is called to do the work of discipling. Only a few will preach. Only a few will lead a public worship service. But everyone, every Christian, has a responsibility to disciple. Every one of us. As yes, sir. Huh? As we go. As we go. Yes, sir. I don't want to walk out of here and say that Jerry is opposed to one-on-one -on -one evangelism. That's, and I said that. I'm not. Okay. What, what did you say about when you drew the little stick man up there? I said that this is a part of discipleship. It is. But some people would say this is the only way oh. to do discipleship. And I I'm saying it. it's not. It's not even the most important. It is a component yeah. in our approach to discipleship. But when we gather together, I take Sunday morning sermon very important. It's what I do. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to be discipling. It's going to be written, designed, and delivered to, to disciple people. To call the lost and to disciple people. And everything we do, we gather together in a group like this, we're discipling. Mm -hmm. We're discipling. When you guys met this morning, you're discipling. That's more than one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Some people will never, ever consider participating in a one-on-one -on -one discipleship meeting. They're just too shy. They're too afraid of, you know, venturing out. You know, but they'll come and be a part of a group and they can, they can start being discipled. Now, I'm not saying this isn't effective for those that choose to go down this road. I'm just saying there's a minority that commit themselves to it. And so it can't be what we rely on. I've had that discussion with some guys in our church when, when the spiritual formation team was starting and, and Kyle, I think it was, he and I had a, a disagreement, a discussion about it because he said, most pastors have never been discipled. And I said, what? How is that even possible? Well, he's talking about when they were coming up, once they were saved, that no one sat down one-on-one -on -one and taught them how to follow Christ. 
I, I would agree with that. That's probably true. That's probably true for 99% of Christians. Okay? But that doesn't mean that 99% of Christians have never been discipled. Right? I, I was discipled by John MacArthur from a distance. You know, as a young man, just coming out of college, I'd been a believer for some time, but I'd never been discipled. I didn't really know what it meant. No one had taken any interest. And so when I got a job and I started driving back and forth and I started, you know, the radio station or something started playing this guy. And I, I, didn't, I didn't know who he was. I didn't know. I mean, we're talking back in the early 80s. Okay, so this guy was showing up on the radio and I'm thinking, you know, he, I really like what he says, but man, he's saying things that are out there. Well, first thing you know, I started, you know, getting myself a, a radio that I could listen to in my office during lunch or something, you know, or recording it and listening to it when I couldn't listen to him at the right time. And and so, you know, this went on and finally, I, you know, I, I hear the guy's name, but I don't know who it is. Um, it it came, became years, but I mean, for the last almost 40 years, this man has been discipling me from afar because I have studied and read most of everything that he's ever said and done. And for the last 51 years, he's been the pastor out there at Grace Community Church, and and he has stood he stood the test of time with his walk, and and so it's been it's been very influential in my life. So that wasn't one on one, but yet it was in some ways. You see, you see what I'm saying? I understand. Okay. All right. I'm I'm old. You got to talk slower. <laughs> okay. We're about out of time, and we didn't get finished, but we'll finish up next week. Uh, you got any other questions?